Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 28. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm very honored to have a special guest to interview. Sharon Martin, LCSW, is a psychotherapist in San Jose, California, who writes the blog Happily Imperfect for Psych Central. Sharon, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks, Laura. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited about our conversation. Me too. And it's really special to have you on the podcast because you and I have connected over the fact that we both talk about perfectionism a lot and um, you certainly more than I do because you're writing about it so often on your blog and um, I just everything you share just hits so perfectly on the mark for my clients who have who are perfectionists. So um, I love what you're doing and I'm really glad that you're here to talk about it. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's always nice to hear that. Um, yeah. And I think that we have really just sort of connected with, you know, sort of being kindred spirits on this topic. And I think we both can really relate to it. I know that for myself, it really has developed from a place of my understanding that, you know, these are my struggles too, you know, that I, I tend to be a perfectionist and in my, you know, understanding of that, I have come to really been able to help my clients with the same kinds of things. And, you know, I, I think for you as well that, um, mm -hmm. you know, we both relate to, to these kinds of struggles. Absolutely. And that's it. It's, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I know you've said that too. Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about your practice and, and yourself? Sure. So I practice in San Jose, California. And I have a private practice there. And the focus of my work is on working with perfectionism and people-pleasing and codependency and anxiety. I would say those are sort of the main issues. And I have found that they all really sort of intertwine with each other in some interesting ways. Um, and so while some people may identify with, you know, some of those terms or labels, if you will, more than others, I, I think for a lot of people that there's really this intersection of, of some of all of these different things that are going on. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I'm in my private practice and then I also work as a clinical supervisor. Um, and I really enjoy that piece of my work as well. I do some of that, um, independently and some of that, um, for a nonprofit organization here locally. Um, and that's really rewarding as well to, um, work with new social workers who are just starting out in the field and, you know, see them develop and grow professionally and, uh, kind of figure out what it is that they want to do in their particular niche and, and area of expertise. Awesome. And, you know, I think in my experience, um, a lot of therapists are perfectionists and, you know, can struggle with anxiety, codependency and people pleasing. So, you know, the supervision and the clinical work go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not speaking for your supervisees, but in my experience, there's a great need for that type of awareness in supervision. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it does seem to be something, you know, that, you know, whether it's sort of our personality traits that sort of draws to this profession um, or our own personal, you know, histories and stories, but um, it, it does seem to be common. Um, obviously, as social workers and as therapists, we, um, you know, get into this line of work because we want to help people and that's sort of the core of it. Um, and I think in order for us to, you know, continue in this field long term, you know, I've, I've been working as a social worker for 20 years now, you know, and absolutely one of the most important things, um, for that long-term work is being able to take care of yourself. And I know you've done other episodes of the podcast that really focus on, on self-care, um, but I think that's such an important piece of it um, for us and, and sort of figuring out, you know, where our boundaries are and, you know, what I want to say yes to, what projects I want to take on, what clients I want to take on and not feeling guilty and feeling bad when I need to say no or when I need to pull back from something, you know, in realizing it's not helping anybody for me to overcommit myself, to burn myself out um, or to feel resentful or angry later on because I have agreed to do something that I really didn't want to do. Um, so I think those are, you know, where we start to see some of those parallels between our work as professionals, you know, and the same issues that our clients bring to us. There's often, you know, some very similar things going on, um, especially with, with the type of, of clients that I'm working with and, you know, for you as well, probably. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, what you were just saying really made me think about, um, in addition to self-care and avoiding burnout, the boundary piece, and not just for clinicians in our work, it's crucial. But for those of us who are in private practice, there's an aspect of entrepreneurship. And that is, I think, you know, the striving and striving, it really, if you're a perfectionist, you can do great with it. And you can burn out so easily. Because um, it's just... It, the work never ends. So setting those boundaries for what you're going to agree to and what you don't want to agree to and how to turn it off at the end of the day. It's so hard. And it's, I mean, it's just not as easy as it seems. Well, yeah, it, exactly. Like you're saying, you know, it made me think of two sort of pieces of this, which are, you know, a, as a entrepreneur and a small business owner, you know, part of what we like about having, having our own business is that we want to be in control of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to provide a certain type you know, level of service. I want to feel really good about the service that I'm giving to my clients or to my supervisees 
or to, you know, the writing that I am doing, I want that to be at a high caliber, right? Um, and that's where it, you know, it really, you know, taps into that perfectionist piece of me as well, where, you know, sometimes I have to realize that I've got to dial it back as well, right? I can't spend, you know, five hours writing a blog post or something, right? And rewriting it and rewriting it to get it perfect. Exactly. Um, I've got to let go, you know, of some of that perfectionist and, you know, some of that wanting to be in control of it, you know, and then I think that sort of brings us into this other dynamic of it where we start to feel some anxiety around are people going to like it are they going to be happy with the service are they going to be happy with you know the blog post are they going to be happy with the supervision um you know and that's where we start to connect all those pieces of you know i'm trying to make everybody else happy and i'm trying to do such a good job and you know be the best possible therapist and the best possible supervisor um you know, but is that really helpful to me? And is it really helpful to everybody else? Right. And, you know, part of what I find happens is that, you know, I really kind of lose this piece of myself in all of it, you know, and I'm trying to make everybody else happy and meet all of their expectations. But it's, it's like, uh, what about my expectations? What about the things that are going to make me happy? Um, and again, I think this can be a hard thing for so many of us um, to really feel like, well, I have a right, you know, to um, be happy or to do the things that I want to do. And it, and it can't just be about serving other people and making everybody else happy. You know, those things are great to a certain extent, but, you know, we're kind of talking at the extreme of it. Um, and then it's no longer great for anybody. Exactly. And crossing that line from it being great to it being terrible it seems to happen kind of (laughs) quickly and without you know sometimes our conscious awareness and it's like oh I thought I here I was I was being so super productive and now I'm exhausted and angry and you know I don't I don't know what it looks like to have some time to myself well you know I think that gets into you know uh, the certain level of black and white thinking that we have, right, where it's it's either good or it's bad or it's a success or it's a failure, you know, or I'm worthy or I'm unworthy. And we sort of get into these two, you know, um, opposing ideas are the only options and how we're going to define ourselves or define the work that we're doing, right? And this is, you know, what I have found so helpful, you know, for myself and for my clients is really to be able to get into that gray area You know, and instead of looking at things as total failures, but maybe they could be considered partial successes, right? Yeah. Um, You know, there's all this space in between the success and failure um, label that we can put on things. And and things really, in, in reality, they really are rarely one or the other. They truly are often, you know, somewhere in the middle. You know, part of it worked out, part of it didn't. You know, some of it I want to do better, some of it I'm pleased with. Um, you know, and also with trying to have the mindset that that all of these things are are such important pieces of our development and our growth as, as human beings and in understanding ourselves and just, you know, the way to really reach the goals that we have is to allow ourselves to take chances and to make mistakes and fail, if you will, at things, um, you know, and that's where we learn the most, right? I mean, if we don't really do anything and step out of that comfort zone and, you know, have a little bit of anxiety, you know, then nothing is really going on. There's really not a whole lot happening. Exactly. 
just staying in that little box and not pushing outside at all. But every time you push out, you know, it's like, this is obvious, but when you push out of your comfort zone, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) But if you stay in your comfort zone, nothing's happening. Right. And that's what I feel like I'm, you know, constantly, you know, telling clients or even writing in articles is that, you know, as you try to make some changes, you're going to experience some anxiety, you know, and you're often going to experience some pushback and some resistance from other people who want you to remain the same. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, change does require that you, you know, experience some amount of anxiety because, you know, without it, then, then like you said, I mean, there just isn't any change that's happening. Yeah. So Sharon, can you talk a little bit about the concept of codependency? Because I know um, we hear that word and it took me a long time to really understand what it meant. Um, I, I remember I asked someone, well, what is codependency? And they said, read codependent no more. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, but <laughs> I, st- I just stood, I was like, can you be more specific? Like, I, I still like to know what does it mean? <laughs> sure. I'll give you give you my version. I, I suppose there's probably a lot of definitions that are out there. But, you know, it's a term that, that originally came about um, from work in the substance abuse field mm-hmm. and working with the families of alcoholics and addicts and, and realizing that there's a relationship dynamic that happens um, that really is the codependency piece, um, you know, and we, we often sort of refer to one of the partners as, as codependent, um, which isn't really very accurate, but I do it as well because there just really isn't, you know, a better term for it. But, but the reality is that really both people in this relationship are codependent and that's, you know, the co piece of it means they're both dependent on each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically what happens is we've got one person who, like I said, originally it, it was you know, what we thought of as an addict or an alcoholic, but it really can be anybody who just isn't functioning up to um, their, you know, potential. And, um, you know, sometimes it's somebody who's physically disabled or mentally disabled um, or just not doing, you know, the sort of normal, responsible adult kinds of things that we're looking for. Um, And so that person becomes dependent on another person. Um, And again, it can be any two people in close relationship. It could be a parent and an adult child or a husband and a wife or a brother and a sister. I mean, it can be any, any combination of these, um, people. Um, so, so this person, you know, clearly depends on, um, the partner here to provide certain things that they're not able to do themselves because of, you know, their impairment. Um, and then the other person in the relationship, becomes to sort of takes on this role of being a caretaker or a rescuer and really kind of always get in there and trying to change things and fix things and make them okay. Um, and they really, um, you know, come to rely on this caretaking behavior as something that is a, a source of self-esteem for them or something that makes them feel good and needed. And that's sort of the dependency piece for that person is that they, they sort of depend on this good feeling that they get. Um, but we end up with this really lopsided relationship, um, you know, where, you know, one person's doing all the caretaking 
and the other person's doing all of the taking, right? And there's really not much that is coming back in return. And so, um, you know, the codependent person um, does not have their needs met. They tend to be often um, quite passive in the relationship and they don't really stand up for themselves and ask for what they need. And sometimes that, that, that comes as a result of, you know, repeatedly not having their needs met. And so you come to learn, well, there's really no point in asking because um, they're not going to be met anyway. Um, and then often what happens, you know, over time with this dynamic continuing, um, often a lot of anger and resentment, you know, gets built up, uh, understandably so, right? When you're, you know, giving, giving, giving mm-hmm. and not receiving anything, um, you know, un- like I said, understandably, you become <laughs> quite upset with the situation, sure. but really sort of stuck in it, right? I mean, where that's sort of this dependency piece where both people feel like I can't really untangle myself from this because I'm getting something out of it and yet I'm unhappy. Right. That's the, you know, I think of it as um, I'm not okay unless you're okay. So yeah. I'll try to make you be okay so I can feel okay. Yeah, and there's very much the, this wanting to control something and, mm-hmm. you know, or someone that feels out of control, right? Um, it's both, you know, the dynamic in the relationship feels out of control, you know, the other person's behavior. Um, feels out of control. And, and really, sometimes there are some really awful things happening in, in these kinds of relationships. Um, you know, when you when you think about um, people that have addictions, um, you know, sometimes there's there's a lot of mistreatment that's happening here um, as well. And so it, it, you know, it's really can be a very serious situation um, as yeah, well. For sure, for sure. So how do you feel that codependency fits together with perfectionism and people pleasing and anxiety. Yeah, I, I think it, it's another, you know, dynamic that, that can be quite closely related. You kind of have, again, you know, these certain things that are, are common in all of these situations um, where I would say um, a lot of people that are codependent, um, well, I'd say they're all people pleasers. That That's definitely, you know, mm-hmm. um, a strong component of it is wanting to make other people happy. And I would say for, for most codependents, they'll probably tell you that that, that uh, goes beyond, you know, the primary codependent relationship. But they're probably like this in, in most relationships, in most yes. situations in their life, that they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to upset anybody or have anybody displeased with them. You know, and again, there's this element um, throughout all of these things of, of wanting to feel like things are, are in your control. Um, and, I, you know, I think, you know, some perfectionists are codependent, um, not all. So, I, you know, I think, um, you know, we don't want to you know, suggest that everybody who's a perfectionist is also uh, codependent. But, mm-hmm. but there is, you know, a lot of crossover, um, you know, in those two dynamics um, and definitely in the people pleasing. You know, I think with perfectionists, um, like I was saying earlier, you know, there's a strong need to be liked and to be accepted um, amongst perfectionists. And that's really sort of what drives, you know, the perfectionism is, you know, wanting, you know, for, you know, the rest of the world to accept you and, um, give you some positive feedback and kind of let you know you're okay. Cause you don't really feel okay yourself. Right. Um, the you know, external validation that you are. Yeah. Yeah, enough that you're enough. enough right. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And, and that's the problem, right. Is that you're always, you know, looking for that and 
and it's never enough, right? You can never get enough validation from the outside world um, that absolutely reassures you of that because that's not really the source, you know, that can quench that need, right? There's this internal feeling of not being good enough um, that is never going to be satisfied by other people telling you you're fantastic, you're the best, you know, you've won these awards, you've, you know, gotten these degrees. Um, that still doesn't, you know... Um, make you feel like you're good enough or perfect enough. Um, and, and then what ends up happening is as you continue to try to strive for more and, you know, achieve this perfectionist, um, you know, you've set yourself up, you know, for an impossible feat here. And so, of course, you're going to end up feeling discouraged um, and quite the opposite of, of, you know, feeling successful, you're going to feel like you're, you failed at this because you can't, there's no possible way to succeed at, you know, being perfect. Um, right. so, you know, right. So you typically end up just feeling worse instead of feeling better. You know, you think I will be the best, you know, possible, whatever. Um, and then everybody will like me and I'll like myself and, you know, my problems will be solved, but instead you feel lousy. Um, you know, people, you may or may not be getting some of the external validation, but I think you ultimately come to realize that that's not really what you need. Um, that only takes you so far in terms of feeling good. Um, and, and then there's a, another huge piece of the perfectionism that, that relates to this, which is self-criticism. Mm. You know, is that we tend to be really super hard on ourselves, right? We've got very high expectations for ourselves. Often we have very Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly, my group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. High expectations of other people as well, um, which, you know, can cause a different, you know, problem in relationships if we tend to be critical of other people for not living up to our expectations, Um but we're certainly not living up to our own very high expectations because, again, they're just ridiculously out of touch with what anybody could possibly do. Um, so then we're, you know, emotionally, you know, verbally, you know, beating ourselves up, you know, which you and I know, you know, as therapists is not motivating for people. Sometimes people think, you know, but I'll be really hard on myself and really tough and rigid and that will motivate me. But no, it doesn't. It ends up making us feel lousy. Um, and we, we just can't be our best selves and perform at our best when, when we're feeling badly about ourselves. Yeah, that inner critic mm -hmm. just tears you apart. 
Yes, I, I, you know, if I had a, you know, seriously a penny for every, every time somebody came into my office and said, you know, I'm so much harder on myself than anybody else is, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, we're all doing this, is, is the crazy thing about it, is it's not just, you know, one or two people. It's like, we're all like emotionally berating ourselves, you know, for things that, that the rest of the world does not care about or does not even notice, um, you know, we're thinking, you know, people are thinking about all of the little things that we've done wrong and nobody is, you know, it was a passing, you know, thought if that, you know, for the rest of the world. And, you know, sometimes people are, you know, spending, you know, hours or, you know, days, you know, rehashing things or ruminating over, you yes. know, things that they feel they've done wrong when it's really of little consequence. Right. Other people didn't really notice. And if anything, Uh they're probably doing the same things about something they said or did wrong at the same time. So they're not thinking about you. That's it. Yeah. So I know you had a blog post about this. I think it may have been a guest post, but it was about the dark side of perfectionism and how um, Mm. people who put those super high unrealistic expectations on themselves or should I say ourselves, because I know mm-hmm. I've done it, um, are at risk of suicide. Yes. So, you know, do you see that that perfectionism causes a lot of pain for people? Well, I do. And I think most people start out thinking it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess depending on where you're sort of at with it, you know, um, people people often think you know it is truly just this quest for excellence and really high standards um you know and i know i live in in an area where um there is just a huge amount of pressure on high school kids um are are really feeling you know this intense pressure to succeed um you know, and unfortunately, over recent years, there's been, you know, quite a number of suicides amongst teenagers um, in some of our really high performing high schools and areas nearby, um, you know, that's kind of related to that. I mean, such such extreme pressures for them to perform, you know, with their schoolwork and sports and, you know, everything else that kids are involved in these days. Um, you know, it just seems like so much more is expected of our young people. Um, you know, than even I think when we were kids. Um, But anyway, you know, sort of back to your question, Laura, um, absolutely, you know, we kind of touched a little bit on the fact that often there's there's a sort of an underlying component of anxiety amongst um, people that are dealing with these things. Um, But also, like I had mentioned, too, you know, when when you're really critical of yourself and really down on yourself, you know, I think that also puts you at risk for um, depression as well. Um, and so I, I think we're often seeing, you know, some pieces of anxiety and depression, um, often, often with people who are perfectionists or codependents. Um, and yes, you know, anytime that, um, you've got a significant risk of depression, you know, there is a possibility, unfortunately, um, of suicide and and it's such a, a sad situation, of course, anytime, um, that somebody, um, is considering suicide or, or actually does kill themselves, um, but, you know, in these situations, it, it really just feels like, um, you know, if we can just be a little bit more kind to ourselves and a little bit more accepting 
and really see that we are more similar to everybody else than different. You know, I think we're often feeling, you know, like I am so different than everybody else and I'm the only one who is going through this and I'm the only one who feels inadequate or feels like I don't have it all together. And, you know, so many other people feel the same way. We just don't do a good job of talking about it. And when we don't talk about it, we're not able to be supportive of each other. You know, I think this is, you know, you often sort of hear, hear this criticism of, of social media is that, you know, you look, you look on there and you just see the, the best parts of everybody's lives. Um, but, you know, we all have things that are struggles for us and we all have days or, you know, long periods of time sometimes where we're just feeling like I'm, you know, not as good as everybody else. Um, I'm not as smart or I'm not as successful or my family's, you know, not as, um, you know, functioning, if you will. Um, and we do this comparison thing that, that again, just leaves us feeling like I'm inferior and there must be something wrong with me rather than trying to connect with each other on the, on the pieces, you know, where we're real with each other and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. You know what, I'm having a hard time at work you know, and I don't know how to handle it. And I feel like my boss doesn't like me and I was late on the project. And, you know, and then other people typically go, wow, I was feeling like something really similar um, just the other day. Um, you know, and again, I, I find this, you know, both for myself and often for my clients as well, um, that there is this huge relief that comes when you're able to really share you know, those more vulnerable parts of yourself with somebody else, you know, and I can't guarantee that it's always going to be well received by the person you share it with. But I would say the vast majority of times when people are thoughtful about who they talk with, um, they really do find this much deeper connection comes in sharing what they're struggling with. Yes. And, and just having that experience of our shared humanity, that this is a human experience to feel less than and to compare and to, you know, be self-critical and unkind to ourselves. It's really um, something that we all do. So when more people are open about it, then, you know, there's less isolation in it. And I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, this is ultimately the place where I have come with all of this is back to this idea that, you know, really the solution lies in our ability to just accept ourselves for who we are. You know, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and we all make mistakes and we all, you know, screw up really in some big ways at times, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that is being human, of course. And, and on some sort of, you know, logical level, we all know that. And yet we still kind of hold on to, you know, oh, I really don't think, you know, my neighbor is screwing up quite as badly as I am. <laughs> and yet you probably just don't know it. Um, because believe me, we all do. Um, you know, and if we can get out of this place of just being so hard on ourselves and focusing on all the things that we're doing wrong, we can actually really enjoy ourselves and enjoy our life um, and feel good about who we are. And, and that's not to say that there isn't room, you know, for growth and improvement. Um, it just means that I'm okay with where I am today and who I am. And some people are going to like me and some people are not. And that's okay. You know, because if I live my life trying to make everybody else happy, 
Well, for one, I won't because it's not possible. And for two, you know, then I have really lost, you know, what is unique and special about me. You know, if I just want to be a clone and like everybody else, then, you know, what really is my purpose, right? I mean, it is just, it is to be me. Exactly. So Sharon, can you talk about what you do in therapy that helps people who are perfectionists? I can try. That's a hard question, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) It always feels a little hard to sort of um, untangle it. I know. It's very hard to put into words what happens in therapy. I struggle with that, too. It is. But I I think it is, um, you know, trying to get in touch with what are some of those things that you are saying to yourself and really understanding and having a greater awareness of how that negative self-talk is impacting you. Um, And it's also a lot of this reframing around, you know, our negative ideas about making mistakes um, and, you know, messing up um, and not being perfect um, and the things that we regret, you know, um, and trying to work with those types of things in, in both understanding that they are normal, um, but there's also a way that we can, you know, let ourselves off the hook and forgive ourselves um, and that that is actually the best, you know, the best thing to do that we don't, you know, that it's really not helpful to continue to, you know, punish ourselves um, essentially um, for things that we have done wrong um, that, like I was saying earlier, that that does not promote us, you know, you know, propel us towards being our best selves, which is, which is really, you know, what we want to do. Um, and so I, you know, I try to help people, um, like I said, sort of move, move past sort of the negative stuff that, that they are, um, feeling and thinking, um, and towards things that make them feel more accepting of themselves. Um, you know, and, and start with the, you know, possibly just the small things um, that they can find um, as strengths or as positives. Um, I think often, you know, some gratitude practice is is really helpful um, Mm -hmm. at that point of it and really just trying to connect with um, what's good in my life, um, what's good about me, what are the things that I'm, you know, proud of, pleased with, um, that I feel like I'm doing right. Um, and again, sort of trying to shift that away from the focus on the negative and what's lacking and what's missing um, towards what's already here. Um, and most of the time, there is so much more good stuff going on that if we just allow ourselves to experience, um, you know, then we start to notice that that there's a lot of good things going on all all around us. Yeah, I think one thing that perfectionism does to us is makes us notice only the one small error or flaw and ignore all the many positive things, you know, it's like it blows that one thing out of proportion and that's what we focus on. Yes. That is such a good point because it is so true. That is exactly what happens is that, you know, there could be, you know, literally like 99 positive things or things that you did right today, but you only see that one. And for you, you know, that 1%, you know, you focus on that, like that was the 99%. And it really kind of, you know, skews your thinking towards the negative, um, which again, I mean, it is something that we see so much with people who are depressed is, you know, they're just not letting in um, so much of the of the good things 
you know, but they're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, I liked what you said earlier, too, about um, being more accepting of ourselves and being kinder to ourselves. I think a gratitude practice can really, I think that can really be very impactful. It It is. And what I love about it, too, is it's so simple and it doesn't necessarily take a lot of time. Um, you know, it's something that you can literally do, you know, starting off with just a couple of minutes a day, you know, just start to purposefully identify. And I, I like to write things down because I think it's more reinforcing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't have to be this big journal, if you will. You know, you can just put a couple little notes in your phone or on a, you know, scrap of paper, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, but just intentionally identify a few things that you're grateful for. Um, and, and a lot of people really struggle with that in the beginning. It, it's very hard for them to, you know, think of three to five things. Um, but like everything else, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. That's true. When I'm trying to, if I'm trying to think of things to be grateful for, and then they're not just coming to me, it means that I'm not really in a good place. And so when that happens, I can say to myself, well, I'm alive right now, Uh you know, and that is something to be grateful for. It is. And I think from there, you can just sort of take this mindfulness approach, which is, you know, what is going on right here in front of me at this very moment that I can you know, tap into my enjoyment of, you know, and really taking in, you know, with all of my senses, um, you know, and notice how good it is. And so, you know, literally I could just have, you know, a, a glass of water and instead of just mindlessly drinking it, you know, I could be grateful for the fact that I have clean drinking water and it's cold and it's refreshing and I could just savor that very, very basic experience and find a whole bunch of, you know, pieces of it to be grateful for. Absolutely. I I agree too that mindfulness is a very important component in overcoming perfectionism. It's really made a difference for me. Yep, I agree. I mean I think it's it's a it's a great practice. Um, and again, it's not as complicated as people think it is. It's, you know, kind of, you know, a, a word that maybe, you know, we think it's something more than it is. <laughs> but it, it really is that simple of just, you know, tuning in to what is going on right now instead of letting your mind wander to all of the what ifs or, you know, all of that ruminating about problems or, you know, sort of creating even problems that aren't existing with our worry and our and anxiety. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be complicated and it's free. It's right there, you know, <laughs> anytime uh-huh. you want it. Yes. Yes. Well, Sharon, I really appreciate what you've expressed today and, I think um, if people want to know more about perfectionism, I love how on Happily Imperfect, your blog for Psych Central, you write article after article helping people sort of relate to their own experience through your examples. And I think I think it's a wonderful resource. So I know that people who are listening would gain a lot if they're if they care about perfectionism and they have a problem with it or they think they might by reading your blog. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would love for folks to come over and, and read what's going on there. Um, I also am 
slowly, slowly working on writing a workbook that's going to be on overcoming perfectionism. And what I am going to do, Laura, is I am going to make available a sample chapter um, for any of your listeners who would like to download Uh. that. It'll be just a, a PDF that they'll be able to download. So I am going to have that on my website um, on, a, on a page for therapy chat. So it's going to be SharonMartinCounseling.com slash therapy chat. And maybe you can put that at the intro or, or the end as well. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm but I'll so have excited. That there. Um, yeah. So people can get a little preview of it um, and see what it's going to be like. And hopefully I will get that thing done and out there for the world. <laughs> By the end of this year, I don't know. It's definitely uh, a longer process than I anticipated um, and definitely um, a challenge for me in um, just getting it done and not worrying about it being perfect. (laughs) Of course. And oh, my gosh, I know it's going to be wonderful. So that is really exciting. Thanks for that special resource for our listeners. Absolutely. um, So I will be sure that's in the show notes and I'll be letting people know they can get that because that's a wonderful gift. Excellent. Then if people are in the San Jose area and they want to work with you, I'm guessing they can get information about that on your website too. Yep, absolutely. So just SharonMartinCounseling.com. Awesome. Sharon, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Well, thank you for having me, Laura. It was a pleasure. And, you know, I hope that it's helpful to at least some of the people who are listening. So thanks so much for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to TraumaTherapistNetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. If you like what you hear, please go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a rating and review. I'm grateful to my guest, Sharon Martin, LCSW, for being here with us. You can get more information about Sharon's work by visiting her website, SharonMartinCounseling.com. And be sure to check out her free gift to Therapy Chat listeners, which you can find at SharonMartinCounseling.com slash Therapy Chat. And if you're a therapist working with survivors of trauma, Get the information on my new trauma therapist community next. Hi, this is Laura Reagan, your host for Therapy Chat. All of you trauma therapists in the audience, I want to tell you about a special offering. 
I'm creating a community for trauma therapists. Do you ever feel like you're climbing a mountain all alone, wishing you had someone to guide you? Working as a trauma therapist can feel overwhelming and affect us in so many ways. Gather with us for clinical case consultation, camaraderie, and support to combat the isolation. Join a group of fellow trauma professionals who will come together to share collective wisdom and effective strategies for working with clients, as well as help taking care of ourselves so we can continue to practice effectively and ethically for years to come. Registration opens soon, and to get the information, sign up by visiting my website at www.lauraregan.lcswc.com and click on Trauma Therapist Community. Hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.lauraregan.lcswc.com.